thankful to have each of you uh, here joining us and, and being a part of, of worship this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're thankful to, to have you. We want uh, all that we do uh, to be founded and to be based uh, on, on this scripture as we've uh, just had read. And so this morning we're going to be looking at, uh, as we're going through worship, we're going to be looking at uh, just very briefly an overview of worship in the, in the Old Testament and the impact that it has for us uh, today. The, um, the U.S. Missile Defense Agency is tasked with defending this nation against any, you guessed it, missile attacks. And what's interesting is they have these satellites that rotate around space that pick up heat signals when missiles or any sort of rockets are launched at all, and they can track them for a certain amount of time as long as the boosters are going, but once those boosters shut off, the missiles essentially go cold. But what they're able to do, having an awful lot of smart guys who know math really well, is based on the trajectory of what they could follow while the boosters are going, they can then reliably determine what the target is. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to steal a page out of the Missile Defense Agency, and we're going to recognize that the Old Testament functions in a very similar way. It helps us point us in the direction of where the Bible is going in terms of worship and what ultimately it is longing to end up at. Because the reality is there are a lot of foreign things in the Old Testament when it comes to worship. Things that are confusing like blood all over the place. I suspect if I ever saw any actual pictures, I'd probably have to sit down because my stomach would get queasy. And then people wearing all sorts of strange and funny looking clothes and all of that can be very confusing. But if we look at the trajectory of all of those things, I think we'll come to find the singular purpose of the movement in the Old Testament towards God. And this, it seems to me, as I look at the Old Testament, is the trajectory. God longs to be present by means of fellowship and covenant relationship in the midst of his people. Worship then in the Old Testament is what is associated with this being in the presence of God. So we find God in the Old Testament constantly taking the initiative to be with his people. Time and time again, we hear this essence or this desire of God that he longs to be in the very midst of those whom he created. We find it very first of all in Genesis 3, 6, where God is walking in the garden of Eden, in the cool part of the day. That becomes for us the ideal state, the way that God wishes and desires it to be, that he would be there present with his people. Even as we come to the book of Exodus, there seems to be introduced a very singular focus for why God wants to bring the people out of Egypt, what his longing and his desire is. When he first appears to Moses, the proof that God is with him is that you shall worship God on this mountain. And Moses, when he speaks on behalf of God, he says to Pharaoh, let my son go so that he might worship me. God is longing for his people to be brought out of slavery in order they can go to the mountain, and at that mountain they are to worship, which we will come to find means to encounter God and to be in the very presence of God there. And so we find that when the Israelites do arrive at the mountain, this is what the word of God says about that event. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, 
You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And you can see the, the relational movement and the relational desire in what God did to the Egyptians was for the purpose of bringing out and uses this very, um, very, uh, I guess it would be romantic language of bear, bearing you on eagles' wings. It's this image of God carrying them as an eagle carries things to the place. But notice what is the ultimate goal. What he does with all of that, God does all of this so that Israel would be brought to myself. He, he doesn't want to, to bring them to some sort of formula or some sort of regulation that they have. He wants to bring them to himself. That is why God is present in the mountain. That is why God invites them, at least a select portion of them, to come up to the mountain is because God desires to be with his people. So we have Exodus chapter 24 Verses 9 and 11, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there was something like pavement of sapphire stone, and like the very heaven for clearness. God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, and so they beheld God, and they ate and drank. This eating and drinking becomes synonymous with fellowship. So God calls them up, and there they behold God. And what is it that they do there? They have a meal in the very presence of God. That is the longing and the desire to bring them to himself. It's not that God wants simply something from the people. He wants the people themselves. And so it is there that they beheld him, and that they ate, and they drank. And this is the ultimate end towards which God calls his people, that they might be in his presence that there might be covenant, that there might be fellowship with them. And then we find after this encounter on the mountain, God speaks of this thing called the tabernacle. And when God speaks of it, he says in Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, I will place my dwelling, that being the tabernacle, in your midst, and I shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people." Notice, God is saying, I am moving into the neighborhood. I'm coming into your very midst. One of the ongoing discussions amongst grandparents seems to be, can you and should you follow your grandkids? Some will adamantly say yes, and some will adamantly say no. But if you're looking for a scriptural principle here, you found it. God moves into the neighborhood, and God follows his people, doesn't he? He wants so desperately to be in the midst of his people that he comes and he lives with them. It's God's idea to walk among them, just as he did in the garden. God is trying to restore what was lost in Eden by being present in the midst of his people. And so he says in Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 and 46, sounding again very similar, I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. 
God comes up with the idea of tabernacle to be in the midst of His people. Then, of course, we know after tabernacle in Old Testament worship comes temple. And there at the dedication of the temple, here are the words that are said from 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. And then the priests came out of the holy place, and a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. From tabernacle, which is more mobile, to temple, which is more stationary, we find again God's desire to be in the midst, to be with his people. And that notion and that, that sense, it continues throughout the prophets and just one of many, many passages we could look at, Hosea chapter 2, verses 16, and then verses 19 through 20. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. And I will take you for my wife forever, and I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. In fact, there's much in the prophets that if we understood what the prophets were talking about in relationship to God, we'd probably all blush, even just a little bit. The nature of this desire of God to be as husband and wife, and for people to know Him as intimately as they do. And so that seems to be the whole Old Testament trajectory, this movement towards this desire of God to be present in the very midst of His people. And so what is it about this directory that's, or this trajectory that's important about our understanding of worship? First of all, it helps us understand the role of distance and separation in the context of worship in the Old Testament. As much as there is language about God wanting to come near, there seems to be as much language about God saying, now get away. And that leaves us confused. Well, which is the dominant trajectory? The desire to come near or the need to be separate from people. So we find Moses, when Moses encounters God as a burning bush and he goes, God, what does God say? Don't come any closer. For the ground where you're standing is holy ground. And even in Exodus 24, to the mountain that we spoke of God's desire for them to come, in the first and second verse it says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the, to the Lord, you and Moses, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and worship at a distance. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So we think God, as he brings about tabernacle, he has these, these degrees of holiness, these degrees of access from the outer court to the holy place to the most holy place. And so we may feel confused by being in this Old Testament relationship with God. On the one hand, he says, I want to be near you. I want to be with you. And on the other hand, he's saying, you need to back up. You need to stand back. What are we to make of what appears to be these conflicting movements for God? And I don't think our job is to run away from the ambiguity, but to embrace it. God wants to move into the neighborhood, yet formal worship regulations are set out in regard for His holiness. 
God cannot just be simply approached in any way we wish or in any way we will or in any way we desire because of His holiness. See, God creates distance in order to facilitate intimacy. God creates distance in order to facilitate intimacy. See, that's the trajectory. The trajectory is the intimacy and the holiness deals with the obstacle which is addressed through the distance there. Perhaps one way to think about it is to think of a hospital patient who has a very low immunity. And if you want to go in and visit that patient, the doctors will ask you to put a mask on and a gown on and gloves. And you might say these things will create distance and yet they are necessary for you to have as much intimacy as possible as you enter into that room. All of these distance texts in the Old Testament, all of these separation texts was in order to enable a way that God's people could come into his presence. See, that's why it's important to think about and talk about trajectory. It is not God's ultimate desire to be separated from His people. He wants to be close and in the very presence of His people. See, we get to cheat when it comes to trajectory, don't we? Not only do we have the initial Old Testament, but we have the New Testament, and we have the ultimate aim to which God is moving. So here's one of those New Testament texts that should help us to understand clearly the trajectory. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 22. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have the great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We recognize distance was in place and enabled until that distance could be removed and then people could enter with full confidence into the very presence of God. The second thing we recognize in terms of this trajectory is it helps us to understand the role of these formal religious practices. See, one of the things that can happen is we can misunderstand the role of these things that God said, do this and do this and do this. But they all play a relational role. Take, for example, sacrifices. Leviticus will lay out all sorts of different sacrifices, burnt offerings, grain offerings, the offering of well-being, sin offerings, the offering of restitution. And in reference to all of these is a repeated phrase said in Leviticus 1.13, a pleasing odor to the Lord. There's something that is pleasing about people giving these offerings. And so what is the role of the sacrifices? What relational role do they play? Because without a relational role, we might come to think that God is the kind of a God who if we offer these outward sacrifices, that alone is pleasing to Him. That God really just wants stuff from us, and perhaps He really doesn't want relationship with us. And so it matters how we come to view God. The God of the Old Testament, some will say there's one God in the Old Testament and a different in the New Testament. But if you read texts like Exodus 38 where God reveals Himself, you will find that no, God is consistent in His action and behavior across the Testaments. But if you were to view God like a judge then you would understand sacrifices differently. 
If the judge finds you guilty and says you need to do 50 hours of community service, what does the judge care about? The judge cares that you do 50 hours of community service. Do you expect that judge is going to invite you over for dinner to have a meal with you? No. He simply wants to make sure you fulfill the obligation. So as we get a correct view of God and the understanding of the role of these sacrifices, we can understand what God truly seeks from his people. Perhaps we could illustrate it by looking at a well-known story of Cain and of Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering... 